humans, you are listening to the sensation of the moment. Be careful. If you are an ignorant person who will not expand your knowledge, then leave as soon as possible from here. So I'm here with Rahi. Rahi, thank you so much for being here today with us. It's my pleasure. Uh, Rahi, you can uh, introduce yourself for all the public that don't know you. Uh, first of all, let me thank you very much for this opportunity, Luca. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, and congratulations on your rising success. Um, I only foresee good things for you in the show. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Rahi. I'm a, a certified management consultant, and uh, I have a background in entrepreneurship. It's my bachelor's degree, and uh, I have a master in the science of management, where I, I studied entrepreneurship and strategy, and I wrote a thesis on interpersonal, inter- and intra-organizational trust. I've been an entrepreneur for more than 15 years in, uh, in solar energy and then in consulting, or now I have a consulting firm and um which is called the big leaf and you can find us on thebigleaf.com our team has grown to about 15 members plus about four or five associates uh so it's uh it's pretty exciting i'm also the um chair of the professional development committee at cmc in the uh, greater toronto area chapter where i also sit on their board um besides that i volunteer quite a bit of my time helping out uh, startups and entrepreneurs and um, we're also working with um, Spark Innovation Education Center to um, uh, provide them with coaching advisory and mentorship services as well. So busy, busy, busy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the entrepreneur's life. But uh, today, I think we're here to talk about ancient Egypt. Exactly. About Egyptology, about ancient Egyptians. Uh, first, before we start... How it's possible that an entrepreneur like you, a very successful entrepreneur, knows about history, knows about cultures? In my 20s, I was starving for knowledge, <laughs> especially knowledge that I did not uh, study in school. So I, I had a, a, a business degree. And um, so ancient history was not um, a set of electives that I took. And that was on purpose. My electives were complementary to my uh, degree. And ancient history, albeit somewhat complementary, uh, not to the same value uh, as something like critical thinking, for example. But um, I found um, several resources of high quality um, sources of information on something like ancient history. The teaching company uh, had been around for a while. Uh, I think the modern scholar was also one back then. I'm not sure if they've merged, but I think the teaching company is now called the Great Courses, and I can't say enough good things about them. I had a friend who was um, basically just um, lending me his copy, and uh, I think I've done over 500 series of lectures. Let's be conservative, the 350. Mm -hmm. uh, each series is something like 12 to 45 lectures. Each lecture is usually between... Um, 30 to 45 minutes, depending on which series it is. And Egyptology was one of those ones that I really enjoyed. I think I did a three or four different lecture series on them, most of them by Professor Bob Breyer, 
and um, and that included the history of ancient Egypt and uh, one more that I can remember were the great pharaohs of ancient Egypt. The other two, I don't remember what the title of the lecture series was because I've done so many yeah. and he heaven knows what I remember from each one. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So what can you tell us about ancient Egyptians? Were they so developed that we have the stereotype in our head that they were one of the most civilized uh, in the history? I guess it depends on your definition of civilization. I mean, the, the Greeks might get mad at that. Uh, <laughs> but um, they were the first or the oldest um, civilization with written records, right? The Narmer palette dates to 3150 BCE um, or about, you know, 5,000 years ago. So, um, and that was, if I'm not mistaken, a representation of the unification of Upper and Lower Egypt by King Narmer. Um, uh, there's a biblical name for Narmer as well. I forget what that is, but uh, yeah, it was King Narmer. And um, so in that sense, you could say they're the oldest with evidence of written documentation, um, definitely thousands of years before the more uh, popular Greeks and Persians and them because they, they were mostly around around 500, 600 BCE. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So uh, what what is something that they are known about? Like, I remember- I'd like told... to, uh, yeah, I'd like to talk about the um, the Pharaoh named Sneferu. And yes. I'm sure you and most of your listeners are Snefahu. Sneferu, S-N-E-F-E-R-U. <laughs> Uh, estimated to be alive between 2613 and 2589 before the common era. This guy built three pyramids. Okay. If you want to talk wow. about resiliency, you want to talk about ingenuity, not giving up, uh, learning from mistakes, um, all of the entrepreneurial traits that, that we train uh, yeah. uh, budding entrepreneurs to, to, to acquire. This guy had it in droves. So he started in uh, Maydum, where he tried to build the first true pyramid, because before him and his um, architect, or I'm, I'm assuming a team of architects, um, the pharaohs would build what are called mastabas, and these are stone slabs on top of bedrock, where there is uh, something carved out of the bedrock underneath, usually a burial pit. Uh, and later on, they put a smaller mastaba on top of the big one and a smaller one on top of that. And you get what's called a stepped pyramid. Um, he wanted to, or he was advised to by his um, uh, architectural team to fill in the space between the steps to make what we would today call a true um, pyramid. And um, well, the first one, um, didn't really work. The second one was called the bent pyramid because one corner was built on sand and not bedrock. And the whole thing started to shift. And that one is still standing today. You can just Google bent pyramid. You'll see the walls go up at a certain angle. And then about halfway up, they, the angle uh, significantly uh, uh, decreases if you're measuring from the inside. And it looks like they just filled it in and said, oh my God, you know, just, just yes. finish it and move on. He finally built a third pyramid, which was the um, successful one. And um, that was the red pyramid. 
of Dashur. This is his third one. That's his burial place. Uh, and it's the first large true pyramid. So I'd like to give a, a little bit of a late shout out to Sneferu <laughs> and give him credit where credit is due. That uh, is something that takes uh, upwards of 10 to 30 years. This guy did three times and he wouldn't give up until it was done right. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And very interesting how I linked it also with entrepreneurship uh, skills and abilities. It's a, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to ask you about the topic that you really like to talk about. Uh, who built the pyramids? Let's, uh, let's kill all the conspiracy theories. Let's say, were, were aliens? Were slaves? Who built the pyramids? Well, the problem with the alien hypotheses <laughs> is that they usually throw around anti-gravity and gravity is the weakest of the four fundamental forces. So you're better off just pushing the rocks <laughs> than to try anti-gravity. So it doesn't make any sense, even if we have some kind of evidence of aliens, which we don't have any at all. These are yeah. the History Channel and I don't know, is it A&E or Discovery, you know, grasping yeah. at straws at the uh, um, more... Um, let's say um, entertaining for, for the public. No, it's because it's not entertaining. It's silly. Um, but more of the customer or the target audience that has a mind full of fantasy, right? Sure, People sure. have these, this part of our minds that um, fantasy will fulfill and we'll feel better about ourselves and find it, you know, I guess, entertaining, but um, no, there's no aliens. There were no slaves building the pyramids. They didn't have bronze. They didn't have a wheel. They mm -hmm. didn't have levers. So I want you to consider that if you're a uh, hundred slaves getting whipped by a single Egyptian guard, uh, your chains are made of copper. And so you can just break them and grab the guy and say, stop whipping us. This is, you know, it's a hundred yeah. to one now. So no, it's, uh, that's silly. Um, there's no archeological evidence of massive amounts of slavery. The closest thing is post-war, you know, the Egyptians would go and try to beat up their neighbors every year and take their gold. Um, some of the um, generals and the higher ups in the military would bring back slaves, but those are slaves for your home. They're not manual laborers in the farms, as far as I'm aware, or at least uh, for large public works projects, definitely no. Um, you have a quality standard and slaves won't. Yeah, that's not a thing. So yes. who built them? Well, it was the farmers. The farmers. Um, prior to the large uh, pyramids being built, one of the larger public works projects that was taken on was to um, create inundation channels. Uh, every year, the Nile inundated um, relatively um, regularly, and it would bring with it not just more water, um, but it would bring with it a lot of uh, topsoil, and it would turn red with this red, rich soil. Um, and um, it would that soil would deposit onto the land, make it fertile, and the farmers could use it to grow. So one of the large public works projects they took on was to uh, build these channels so that it better inundates their fields and gives them more of that topsoil and that rich earth. The problem with this is that you now have three months out of the year where roughly up to 90,000 farmers have nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And when you have nothing to do, crime <laughs> goes up. Okay. Yeah, sure. It's just the way it works with large populations. You can't not avoid people being people. Right. And uh, one of the solutions that um, pharaohs took on was to give them more public works projects to take on. Um, if you do the math on the large pyramids, 
you will find that you can get them finished in uh, one third the time that it really took them if these farmers worked year round, which they didn't they worked for about three months out of the year. They also had artisans, but they worked year round. So the artisans are the ones shaping the stones. They're doing the carvings. They're the architects. Uh, these are different, right? These are dedicated employees, as it were, of the pharaoh. But uh, no, these were farmers. They were uh, up to 90,000, according to Herodotus. Uh, even if he's wrong, uh, you can imagine it would still be tens of thousands of farmers with literally nothing to do for three months out of the year. So no, there were no large volumes of slaves or Israelites building pyramids. In fact, the only credible evidence of large volumes of Israelites in Egypt, um, they were depicted as doing well, as not in a position of um, either being a slave or being subordinate, uh, that they were there for a reason and they had a community that was healthy. Uh, Egypt was very multicultural. I don't know if the the consensus of the listeners is otherwise, but Egypt was multicultural. You had what we would today, you know, uh, superficially call black, white um, right. people from all the different neighboring countries. Um, they would believe that Egypt was sacred. Mm -hmm. And so if they found their way there, they would want to live and die there. Right. Um, so a very, very long-winded answer to your very short question. <laughs> but who built it? it? It was the I farmers it. and they deserve all the credit. Interesting. Very interesting approach. Rahi, who is your favorite ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh? And what do we know about him? I have two. One, one for good reason, one for bad reason. Go. <laughs> I'll start with the bad one first. The bad one um, was a guy named King Pepe. He ruled for something like 93 or four or five years, this guy. He would not give up okay and part of the strength of egypt over the years was that they had this foundation this this triangle foundation this triforce as it were if you're a zelda fan um that all three needed to be in place for the civilization to continue so his name was pepe pepe the second p-e-p-i um one of these was pharaoh the other one was the military, and the third one was the religion of the temples. The pharaoh would lead the military in war every year, as I mentioned earlier, going out to beat up their neighbors, and take their gold, the poor Hittites and the, you know, the Nubians. <laughs> and uh, they must have been very annoyed every year. Again, with the Egyptians, what if they won't leave us alone? <laughs> Again? <laughs> yeah, and um, the third one, uh, so they, he would take them you know, every year to war, uh, the pharaoh traditionally led the army, literally, not figuratively. They wouldn't stand back on a hill, you know, pointing fingers. They would be in front. Um, and, and no pharaoh, as far as I'm aware, ever died in a war. So that gives you a rough idea as to uh, what kind of a leader the people would want from pharaoh. Um, and the booty, the gold, the winnings that you would bring back would support the temples and the religion which would support Pharaoh. So they work together. Unfortunately, Pepe ruled for 94 years and you don't, you're not born a ruler, right? You have to get to some age yes. at least, I'm yes. assuming minimum six right, before yeah. you can be. So this guy was like a hundred years old. Wow. Um, and contrary to popular belief, the average age of ancient humans was not 30. That's including deaths at birth. 
yes, then it's 30. But that we that's not a fair comparison. It's closer to 50. So this guy lived twice as long as he probably, you know, would have lived if he was in the average. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he could no longer lead the army. He could no longer bring home the booty, as it were. And he could no longer support temple. And unfortunately, that was probably the first, um, the, the, the cause of the first um, collapse of the old kingdom, it's called. Egypt collapsed fully twice, if I'm not mistaken, and they rebuilt um, each time. Um, but Pepe, we think, was one of the causes of it. I like him because he wouldn't give up <laughs> I like him because he was stubborn. And I like him because um, he managed to live a very long time, you know. In, True, in, that's, that's very impressive very from him. Actually. Tumultuous, yeah, you know, volatile time in history. The other person that I really like, for a totally different reason, is named Akhenaten or Echnatan, depending on yeah. how you interpret the old Coptic. This guy was out there. You see, for 3,000 years in Egypt, they didn't change their art style. In fact, art was not considered art the way we look at it. It was something different. And they left it the same. Now, I encourage your listeners to imagine art not changing in our modern era for five years. Never mind 3,000, right? Yeah. Except for once. Once one pharaoh named Echnatan or Akhenaten decided, meh, I don't, I don't like the way things were going. I don't even like the old religion. You know, they're polytheists. They had um, thousands and thousands of different gods. And they were often very local. And, you know, the ancient world was like that. But this guy said, mm, I don't think so. You know what I think? I think there's only one god. And I think that this god Whoa. is the Aten, yes, as represented by the sun disk. He was the first person in recorded history to claim that there is only one god. So this was unheard of back then, right? Everybody was poly. This is before Moses, right? Sure. He was the first person to also claim that the Aten was the god of everyone in the world. Again, gods were local. Yeah. Gods were not something that transferred very far outside of your circle of influence or, or circle of geographical influence. So this guy was really, really out there. Um, and he also decided, well, I mean, look at the consequences of that, of that train of thought. There's only one God. It's the Aten. Yeah. I am his conduit on earth pharaohs up until that point were gods on earth they were gods yeah this guy was a conduit this guy was a prophet a, a, a speaker or something right it was different already he's putting himself down if you think about it yes right? um and he's putting the aten above all other gods in fact he's saying all the other gods were moot irrelevant they don't exist right only the aten and he wrote hymns to the aten which if you read the translated versions sound very, very Christian. They're very um, uh, interesting um, and how much influence of ritual has passed down through the years. So this guy decided, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to move the capital city. And you think, oh my God, what? Yeah. He just said, meh, we're moving it. We're moving it to somewhere in the desert. Like, oh my God, this guy's crazy, but he did it. He also said, we're getting rid of all the other religions. They're done. 
<laughs> I'm not interested. He did it. Imagine the enemies you make, right? Yeah. He um, married Nefertiti, the oh, yeah. beautiful commoner, right? She's that beautiful bust that we have in the museums, yeah. Nefertiti. He changed the art style. If you look at ancient Egyptian art, there's only two. There's the traditional, which didn't change for 3,000 years, except for this guy. And then there's this guy's art style, which they found many, many thousands of years <laughs> later, hidden. The, the Egyptians had reused the stones from his temple, but just turned them around. And his art style is very different. He has a pot belly. He's got male breasts, as it were, you know, like he's Whoa. fat, although thin and fat, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got a hook nose, you know, he's got a bit of a chin. His face is elongated. He's not perfect. Up until that point, all art in Egypt depicted, depicted perfection. And Pharaoh was always perfect and always at least twice the size of anyone else on the same, um, on the same level, as it were, right? On that same, uh, either a palette or a wall or a papyrus or whatever, uh, on the same plane. Well, here he's just, you know, depicted playing with his kids next to Nefertiti and they're the same size and they look like a regular Joe Blow family having a good yep. time. This was a big deal back then. All the artists, all the temples, all the priests, all the people who believed in the other gods, right? The Horuses and the, the I, you know, uh, or, um, um, well, Isis and, uh, and just, yeah. Anubis and all these guys. Yeah displaced he also didn't lead the army and so no more booty and so the pillars crumbled well he was killed we think by general name i and i'm not quite sure how to spell it but it's not e-y-e -E. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> i think it's like a-y or a-i or a-i-e and uh, his son who was named tutankhaten had to go back to the old religions and changed his name to tutankhamun which you know as King Tut. King Tut, yeah. He was killed at around 19, we think probably by General I as well. Mm. Um, now, why do I like this guy, Akhenaten? Well, I like him because he tried something different. He asked, why should we listen to the old patriarchy, the old influential members of our society, mm -hmm. if we ever want to progress? Right. Why do I have to be um, subordinate to the previous generation's knowledge and not be able to add something to it and or test it in some meaningful way? That's what I see in him. The beginnings of a scientific method, the beginnings of an enlightenment. And of course, obviously, probably would have significantly influenced Judeo-Christian religions if people had known about this, but the Egyptians had hidden it. So there's very interesting um, overlap there as well. Um, but according to the Egyptians, he broke Ma'at, M-A-A-T, which means divine order. And um, he was killed. Unfortunately oh. for him. <laughs> Raheem, when I, when I posted on Instagram that you would be my guest, a lot of people asked me questions to ask you. But uh, I saw one that really intrigued me. What would happen if we, if we would have the opportunity to read the books and the knowledge in Library of Alexandria, if, we, if it wouldn't be burned? 
Oh, okay. <laughs> if the library hadn't burned down and it hadn't um, flooded later, um, I think one of a few things could have happened. Um, the easy null hypothesis is not much would have changed. True. That the knowledge would have remained local and that it would have been lost in language and there would have been some small you know, influence here and there, but not, not a great deal. But a good hypothesis would be this addition to the global pool of knowledge. Would it have accelerated the enlightenment of Europe? That's what I look at. It. That's how I look at it. Because up until then, we didn't change the way we thought about the world. We didn't change the way we thought about consequences, about cause and effect, about nature and our place within it, about our ability to observe and to document and to test and to, and to learn. Would this have accelerated that even by 100 years? That would be very interesting to me. Because otherwise, I don't know, that, that library was, there was so much information there. Um, and the Egyptians were notorious for documenting as much as they could, albeit in a slightly biased way. For example, if you want to know whether or not they are retreating uh, and they're losing a war, you just read between the lines of their document because they'll document it. They say, you know, we went to Nubia, we had a successful war. We, you know, we moved back 100 kilometers. We had a successful war. We moved back 50 kilometers. <laughs> it's like you're retreating. It's not, <laughs> not succeeding. <laughs> but um, if you read between the lines, they were notorious um, documenters, number counters. Um, and at least in the year that I took this course with Professor Breyer, he had said that um, they had more bureaucrats per capita than modern USA. Wow. Um, yeah, they really, really loved. Like, I want to emphasize to your listeners, human ingenuity Human intelligence has not increased over the years. It's the knowledge that has improved, right? It is the scientific method and the enlightenment that's helped us. True. But our, our ability to come up with some degree of critical thinking, our ability to come up with interesting solutions and to be crafty and, and intelligent, as it were, IQ, as it were, hasn't changed in that period of time. Um, Access to calories has changed. Access to knowledge has changed. Right? <laughs> Cumulative knowledge has changed. But they were smart, smart folks back then, right? They true. were as smart as we are today. Innovative and smart is true. true. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to ask you, how was the economy in ancient Egypt? How it was the fiscal system? How were the goods purchased in the time? Because uh, it's, I bet it's very, very different from, from our, our years, our, our time. But also, same in the, in the kind of sand, right? This is a tough one for me because the lectures I took didn't address this very much. But from what I understand, obviously, they had barter systems. Barter systems it sure. was the um, Lydians that came up with coinage, but I don't know when that was. So yes. I can't comment which of the three kingdoms in Egypt it would have affected for... for um, economic purposes because uh, you had three you had the old kingdom the middle kingdom and the new kingdom true um like chariots were not in the old kingdom right they didn't have axles and wheels and stuff they just didn't exist yeah um but i also know that again they were notorious for counting and measuring 
And so I strongly suspect that, um, that their barter system had, had an advanced um, protocol that they could keep everybody happy. I mean, you think about it, right? You're like, but so did they give each other just chickens and sheep? It sounds simple, <laughs> too simple. And it is too simple. But um, they were also the breadbasket of Rome in the later kingdoms, right? True. They, were, uh, they had an abundance of wheat. And so they were known as Rome's breadbasket. Uh, they exported a ton, uh, figuratively, <laughs> of their wheat. Uh, and they would uh, export also um, some precious stones that they would mine nearby. I think opal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, no, the, the big thing for them was, uh, or the big thing for them was agriculture. Uh, that gift of the Nile really made a difference for them. And their warlike um, annual endeavors <laughs> would bring back quite a bit of money for them whenever it was successful. <laughs> but again, I want to emphasize they were multicultural. They had um, black Nubian pharaohs as well as what we would consider like a Egyptian local kind of Caucasian looking sure. pharaoh mixed throughout their, their king lists. Um, but like humans, they were all kind of flawed and <laughs> just human after all. Great question. You stumped me. Your readers have stumped me. One. My last question for you is actually, how did they decline? How did this empire decline? This civilization, how did it like it, it extinct in the end? Well, that was back in Cleopatra's time, right? Mm-hmm. I guess it really depends on how you look at it. So she broke the foundation. Mm-hmm. Right, Pharaoh could no longer support the war, which could no longer support the temples, which could no longer support Pharaoh. So, if you want to look at it from their traditional point of view, yeah. um, by engaging in her uh, interesting political uh, adventure with Rome, um, <laughs> he broke that that foundation that they had, and that's why they collapsed. But they were a civilization that was collapsing already. Once uh, Alexander took Egypt and he installed uh, the Ptolemies there, um, then Egypt was never going to be the ancient Egypt that it once was. Um, Too many external, um, I wanted to say sociopolitical, but military political influences um, were already breaking them down. They were already invaded quite a few times. Um, there, there was no such thing as nationalism. So once again, you really only have these three pillars holding you up. Um, but yeah, once the Romans took over, um, after the last Ptolemy, Cleopatra was the last Ptolemy, right? Yeah. Um, so if you ever see these young kids walking around with shirts that say, you know, proudly cleopatra was black because she was a black egyptian it's like she was greek she was a ptolemy yes, yes, <laughs> it's like there's so many better black figures out there go after them go after those yeah. nubians pharaohs. some of them were great right yeah um, but yeah this was really bad um it was um anthony went back to rome he married octavia this was octavian's sister cleopatra was abandoned now imagine you're an egyptian and they're telling you, oh, yeah, you know, the Pharaoh is in love with some guy and he's in love with somebody else. And that's a political thing. And I mean, where are you going to hear this? There's no, there's no BuzzFeed. There's no CNN. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no, uh, I don't know, 
CBC. Um, <laughs> so whatever you're hearing is going to be broken telephone. Do you know what that? Yes. Uh, yes. That is. Exactly. Um, whatever you're hearing is going to be negative um, because the situation was bad as it is, and people gravitate more towards news that is sensational. So either very negative or very positive. Um, it, it could only have sowed more dissent, right? Um, and she marries to agree, agreed to marry Anthony, I think in Syria. Um, and it was just not a good situation for her either. <laughs> and then of course she committed suicide. And so now they're left without a Pharaoh and that was done. The, was the, done. All three pillars of the foundation collapsed. Um, you had not only the, 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 the foundational collapse that way, but you also had, um, no new supply of great pharaohs because some scholars say that Egypt was the gift of the Nile. Other scholars say that Egypt was a gift of great leaders. And it seems like the consensus now that it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Now, if uh, Rome is uh, requesting most of the gifts of the Nile for themselves, probably at a lower than market price to our capitalist friends, um, and you definitely don't have any leaders there um, that can, you know, pick the sword up as it were and go with it. Egypt is dead. That's the kind of civilization they were. They just had nowhere else to go. So mm -hmm. very tragic. Modern Egypt has nothing to do with ancient Egypt, unfortunately. Sure. Um, and it's a different kind of nation. Um, but that was the end of, in my opinion, the most interesting civilization and history one of many uh, the first people to do major public works projects the first ones to have taxation systems the first to shave their bodies the first to circumcise their children the first to um well obviously the pyramids uh <laughs> at least in the old world yeah um they were some of the worst sailors in the ancient <laughs> world it's because the nile flowed one way and the winds yes. blew the other way yes. so you either put your sails down or you put your sails up and <laughs> once they got to the mediterranean they didn't know what to do um so they would just follow the coast which is hilarious <laughs> incredibly inefficient but like, oh, that's, that's all we know um but in ingenuity dedication um so right anything else to share with us for, about ancient egypt well or we said everything we said uh... there's a lot that we've said but what i'd like to leave with is that i want to tie it back to entrepreneurship again true Go. ancient egypt was a gift of the nile and a gift of the leaders or a result of the the great leaders that they had those leaders in my opinion would not have been successful without the gift of the nile and that civilization would not have been successful without the great leaders. Um, so it was a, a dependency um, on each other, as it were. And entrepreneurship is very similar in that way. If you don't have the resources, like the gift of the Nile, like that red soil, if you don't have the leader that not only has a vision, but understands their um, internal capabilities, they understand their resources that they have, they understand their unique value uh, proposition or UPS or any other fancy term you want to use, um, you are probably not going to succeed. Most entrepreneurial ventures don't, as it is um, mm -hmm. in general. So imagine now also you don't have a good leader, 
and or also you don't have resources. You're literally bootstrapping it. Bootstrapping is very romantic. Everybody writes books about bootstrapping. Everybody teaches about bootstrapping. Um, but bootstrapping does not equal a higher chance of success. It equals a lower chance of success. I totally agree with you. Yeah, totally there's agree. there's lots of quote-unquote rich kids that start up these companies that they do okay if they have good management and good leaders, but the resource is not the problem. And yes. so that's actually a foundational strength for them. Um, and I mean, it's nothing against these rich kids, but you know, we wonder as, as entrepreneurs or as consultants, like how the hell did that, you know, this was just some YouTube influencer and now they've got this fashion line. How did they get a fashion line? How did they pay for people to, well, because they had money, they had the resources, they had the people who wanted to help. They had people who were competing to help. And if you think about it that way, then you're in a much better position than somebody who has to convince others to come and help. Now you go back to Egypt, they have this leader that drives the military literally, right? And when they did have chariots, by the way, if, if you were in the war, uh, but you're on the other side, you're a Nubian, let's say, or you're a Hittite, and Pharaoh is in front of you, well, he's on his chariot with like one or two archers and a lion on either side of him. You're probably going to avoid that guy. <laughs> You're probably going to say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to. I don't think I'll survive uh, going up again. I'm going to go guy, get get the guy next to him, and that's usually one of the reasons why Pharaoh was never killed in any uh, war. But they had this fearless leader that had a vision that understood his or her place. There were female uh, pharaohs, right? Hatshepsut and them. And um, they had the military, which would give them what we would call internal capability, like operations and IT and HR. That's their military. Mm -hmm. And their financiers um, was a combination of the booty from the war and the temples. Temples would also collect money, right? All of it has to be there for it to work. And in entrepreneurship, it all has to be there for it to work as well. So if I could uh, leave your guests with a takeaway, that is to make sure you have the right leadership, the right resources, and the right vision. Rahe, where can our, our listeners uh, find you on LinkedIn, on uh, the Big Leaf? If they have I any encourage questions? you all, yes. Uh, so my LinkedIn profile is easy to find. It's just uh, my name.ca, R-A-H-I.ca. That takes you right to my LinkedIn, and I encourage you all to just uh, connect with me. I'm an open connector. My consulting firm is at uh, thebigleaf.com. I encourage you guys to check that out as well. We are, um, we're a boutique consulting firm uh, that's uh, very high on uh, high social value, high ethical projects. And um, also check me out at CMC, Certified Management Consultants. Uh, I'm a proud member here in the uh, GTA chapter. And I would encourage anyone who wants to get into consulting or is in consulting to consider working with or earning your CMC designation. And I want to thank you very much. This has been great. Great questions. Um, you know, great audience questions, a great host. Um, thank you and so much. I, I look forward to doing it again. Maybe we can discuss, um, well, I love Egypt as it is, but maybe <laughs> we can discuss uh, entrepreneurship, consulting, entrepreneurship. or let's tie it in together. Let's talk about ancient Persia and how that uh, ties into uh, entrepreneurship because they, they did some interesting things for a while, for the for four sure. or 500 years that they were for sure. popular. Uh, <laughs> But I'd love to do that. And I want to thank you again and uh, wish you and your uh, listeners a happy holidays.
Thank you so much, Rai. Thank you for sharing with us a lot of knowledge that you have. Uh, happy holidays. And thank you so much, guys, for listening to us. See you in the next episode.